Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric again, alongside Rod, and we're to the final team for Big Ten previews, minus Michigan State, and this is who Rod predicts as the number one team the Indiana Hoosiers. Last season, they were 21-14. and 14. They were 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten. Barely made it into the NCAA tournament and had to play in the playing game by beating Wyoming, but then got totally annihilated in the first round of game against St. Mary's by 29 points. I think they had to travel like out west, and it was like a really bad travel schedule. Yeah, it was, it was, it was brutal. It was a setup for failure. Yeah, it was. Fair to them. They, they certainly had every reason to not do well. Uh, and they were a team that uh, at the Big Ten tournament really was down I think they're down 20 points or something to Michigan in the first half of the of the first game and came back and beat the Wolverines and then just had kind of a quite a run in the Big Ten tournament until they finally flamed out and I think it's what why everyone's just got really high in the team uh, coming into the season uh, they were number 48 overall in Ken Palm with a number 99 or number 95 rating on offense number 24 on defense so on offense, they again with the team that just couldn't quite shoot, which is so funny because you know growing up as kids, Indiana was the one thing you thought about Indiana is they could shoot <laughs> under Bobby Knight. It's the star. It's the stereotype. Yeah, right. The stereotype of Indiana basketball is kids with a um, with a hoop yeah, nailed to the barn a barn door, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just living out. And think about it because the greatest players from Indiana. Who do you think? You think Larry Bird, um, Steve Alford. Uh, Calbert Chaney, George McGinnis. I mean, on and on and on. And most of these guys were great shooters. And even you think about the Indiana teams that Bob Knight had, so many times he would have guys who weren't necessarily superstar, highly regarded players, but boy, they could shoot the ball. Yeah. Yeah, it's it sort of reminded me of many times I feel like Duke always had one or two players that, you know, they got the ball, they're open. It was, you know, it was a three, no matter, you know, that you had yeah. no matter where they were on the floor. And I felt like Indiana always had a couple of those players as well, just not recently. Yep. Uh so on offense, uh so they were number two hundred <laughs> from three and number one twenty five from two. And number two hundred and thirty three in free throw percentage, partly because of Trace Jackson. And let me Davis. let me just stop you there for a second, real quick. Yeah. One to the 200 from three. Okay. They just had bad jump shooters. 125 from two. When you have Trace Jackson Davis in the post, <laughs> yeah. uh, one of the better post players in the country, and a second guy in Race Thompson, who was also pretty good on the blocks, how are you that bad? The answer is those two guys who were really good 
didn't get nearly enough shots. We'll get back to that. Yeah, but I just right. wanted to point that out. Yeah. How remarkable it is that a team that had two really, really good post options, particularly TJD, was that bad. Yeah. And then just to be clear, they were shooting over 55% from from the floor. <laughs> so this is a team that obviously shot poorly. Everyone else shot really poorly. Right. Uh, so they're number 233 in free throw percentage. Uh, they got there a lot. They were number 83 in free throw attempts per uh, game. Uh, and they're 205 on offensive rebound percentage. So they're poor offensive rebounders. It's I'm, another thing. I, I explain that one to me. Yeah. I, they're with those two guys and their, and their offensive rebounding numbers are fine as individuals. It means nobody else did a damn thing. Right. They were number 10 on defense against the twos, uh, number 64 in defensive rebound percentage, and number 17 in block percentage. It was Mike Woodson's first year, and he taking over for Archie Miller. And the team seemed pretty much the same to me, except that they made the NCAA tournament you know, by the skin of their teeth. And in watching them in the Big Ten tournament, yeah, they had some success. They beat Michigan, and I think they, I can't remember who they beat next. Did they beat Purdue or no? I can't remember who they played. No, not Purdue, not Purdue but was, they, they beat somebody else and then they lost a tight one to Iowa in the semis. Did they beat Illinois? Is that who they beat? Maybe. Yeah. No, no, because Illinois went out in the quarters. Yeah. I'm not sure who they beat. Anyway, they beat. Yeah, you're right. They won two games and then lost a tight one and of course to it was, Iowa. Yeah, yeah, right. And they seemed very similar to when, I th- when we, th- we were talking the very beginning of this series about the Big Ten previews. We were talking about Nebraska. A team that seems to have like no identity. It doesn't seem like you know what they're, they're doesn't seem to be any sort of cohesion as sort of what they're doing, sort of their plan of attack, and so you don't know who they are. I felt like Indiana very much felt that way last season. Like you look at the team yep. and say, Well, you got Trace Jackson Davis, you've got guys inside who can just kill you. And they didn't really go to those people or they go consistently, or they go for like ten minutes and then they just disappear for fifteen or twenty minutes and they go back. And I I, I don't know. I mean that was always my impression with Indiana. I just didn't really know who they were. I, and I feel like that's been the case for Indiana for quite some time. Like with Archer Miller, it was the same thing. Like you just didn't really know what this team was. I mean, yeah, they played tough defense, I guess, but offensively they just seemed kind of just random. And I felt the same way with this team last year, especially when you have parts that I think make a lot of sense. And yet they just don't sort of fit together or at least don't play like they fit together. And I, I, I don't know. That's just been my sort of gestalt of Indiana the last couple of years and certainly last year. I think all of that is entirely fair. I, I would say this. I'm not a big believer in the Mike Woodson hire. I mean, time will ultimately tell. Um, but in fairness to him, it's way too early to reach conclusions sure. yeah. because he's still working with a lot of a team that you know wasn't necessarily of his making. Um, to some extent that's changed because the portal gives you more flexibility and he did take advantage of that, but, um, it's not his, I'm sure his preferred method is going to be, you know, like for example, this year they didn't take any transfers. So all their additions are via high school recruiting. And I think that's who he probably wants them to be given his druthers, you know? So I'm trying to suspend judgment even though I'm skeptical of the hire um, for a lot of reasons, but um, clearly in year one, you're right. It didn't look fundamentally any different from an Archie Miller team, pretty good defensively. You know, we, we've been talking about uh, these teams that have had such a weird 
dichotomy between being very, very effective offensively and yet falling off a cliff on the defensive end. Lately, Ohio State, Purdue, Iowa's been that way for a while. Indiana's been the opposite problem. Pretty good defensively, uh, but just cannot save their lives on offense. This is a team that just simply cannot shoot. And it wasn't just last year. It's been that way for a while. And it is the flip side of what they were under Tom Crean. If you remember Tom Crean's era, Indiana generally had fantastic offensive teams. They shot a lot of threes. They made a lot of threes. They generally a good guard play. Their bigs tended to be skilled too. Um, you know, I think of guys like Cody Zeller, um, but they occasionally were not very good on the defensive end. And that ended up haunting them and really was part of what ended Crane's run at IU is they couldn't defend well enough, consistently enough to win enough to allow him to keep that job. They bring in Archie Miller, who just over whatever he was there, three years, four years, could not figure out the offensive end. And Mike Woodson, at least in year one, it was more of the same. Um, we will see if that changes this year. He certainly has recruited at a good level on paper, at least the guys he's brought in are supposed to be good enough to help change that. We'll see if some of the returnees can get back on track as shooters this year. But I think the biggest thing is what you just touched on identity because Indiana has pieces where they could choose to have a particular identity that I think would play pretty well for them. Yeah. Do they do that? I don't know. We'll see. Well, and let's take back the pull back the curtain just a little bit too. There's a Michigan State tie to the Indiana team last year, and that was the the hire of Dane Fife, who left the Michigan State uh, coaching staff, went to become an assistant coach at Indiana back at his alma mater, and he didn't even last a year under Mike Woodson. Uh, you know how there's a there were some suspensions last year with some players. There are things that were going on, uh-huh. and this all sort of ties back again to your your assessment of Mike Woodson, I think, you know, what sort of, yes. what sort of like very definitely. organizationally, you know, what sort of things do you value? What sort of things are important to you? How do you run your, run mm-hmm. the ship, right? You're the captain. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think there are probably a number of people who don't really know the backstory of what happened with Dane five. And, you know, not that we know a hundred percent, I suppose. I will, I will preface this with saying what I, what I have been told is, you know, obviously not based on primary source, uh, information. So take it with a grain of salt, but this is, this is my understanding. So the first thing to understand is that Dane Fife supposedly was hired at the behest of the athletic director. And he was hired specifically to make sure that Mike Woodson had some real help from a guy with legitimate big time collegiate experience because Mike Woodson had never spent a day coaching and he and I don't know if he'd ever been in person in attendance at a college game since he <laughs> left the IU campus. That might be a slight exaggeration, but I don't think it's by much. Mike Woodson was an NBA guy through and through. And, a, and by the way, a reasonably accomplished one, you know, he had a couple of head coaching stints where he did all right. You know, wasn't a disaster by any means, was a really good assistant coach. He was an assistant coach on that Pistons championship team in 2004 under Larry Brown. Um, So he'd done a lot at the NBA level and was a highly respected guy. But that's a very, very different world 
than college basketball. And so what I have been told is that Fife was the AD's hire. And also there had been speculation that, um, and again, I don't know how true this is or not, but I've heard it from more than one place that Dane was kind of given the impression that he would be the next guy. You know, Mike Woodson's not a young man. So the feeling probably was, all right, you know, we get this guy in here, give us, say, five, six really solid years, get the program reestablished. And then Dane is still a relatively young guy waiting in the wings to take over when Woodson decides to hang it up. That that was kind of the way the athletic department saw it. But I have heard that it's not really the way Mike Woodson saw it. <laughs> and so on that level, it sounds like maybe Fife was set up for failure in that he was brought in by the AD, but the guy he's working for never really bought into this. And they apparently, I, I did hear, and I'm pretty sure this is fact because I believe they acknowledged this. They didn't know each other. So they didn't have a pre-existing relationship, even though they're both Bob Knight guys, you know, that they were separated by yeah, you know, years or two something. and a half decades. Yeah, right. um, not a surprise that they wouldn't have known each other. So that's the background. Then you get into what happened with last year's IU team. And as you mentioned, they had a few guys suspended at a certain point in the season and then reinstated after sitting out, I think just one game. And I had heard that um, there was some type of substance stuff involved. I believe they officially referred to it as breaking curfew, but I've heard it was more than that. And what I had heard was, and again, I'm going to say it one more time. So it's clear. This is all you have to take this with a grain of salt because I don't have primary source on this. I've heard it from people that I trust a great deal, but I can't say with a hundred percent certitude that it's absolutely correct. So that being said, I'll tell you what I've heard. What I've heard is that Fife is the guy who discovered it. And Fife went to Woodson and told him. And the reaction was what we saw, which was a very short term suspension. And then they were back. And from what I heard, it was the kind of thing that if it had happened at Michigan state, Dane would have been fired if he hadn't reported it. <laughs> but at Indiana with Mike Woodson, he reported it and he became the problem. And that there was friction over Fife kind of not believing that they weren't handling it differently than they did. And that that was really the final straw that led to his, I don't remember whether they called it a dismissal or whether he resigned, but however they announced it, my understanding is it was Mike Woodson saying, I want this guy out of here. Um, and, uh, and that that was really the straw that broke the camel's back was that incident. And I think what you could say, well, okay, that's all he said. She said stuff. But what was interesting to me is that I saw an interview this summer, this offseason with Trace Jackson Davis with an Indiana outlet where he talked about it and he talked about he didn't get into nitty gritty specifics, but he did say something to the effect of I'm taking it upon myself 
as a captain and as a leader to make sure that these kind of distractions, and he was clearly alluding to that type of thing, that these distractions are eliminated. You know, that will, that will be understood to not be part of the program here. We're not going to accept that. And seeing that convinced me, oh, everything I've heard is almost certainly correct, that that's what happened. And if that's going on in your program, man, I don't care how many five stars you're signing or any of the other nonsense. If that stuff is happening, you have a problem and you can handle it by sweeping it under the rug or looking the other way and pretending it didn't ex- it doesn't exist and hoping that you manage to get by or you can deal with it in another way. Um, I found this interesting to bring it back to Michigan State for a second. Michigan State just got done having grind week where they invite former players back. And some people observed, as did I, it was interesting that Corey Lucius was back on campus. Now, Corey Lucius was there at a period where Michigan State did a lot of winning, but they also at a certain point had some problems. And they had a couple guys, one of whom was Corey Lucius, leave and transfer out. My understanding at the time was that those two players, Chris Allen was the other one, did not want to leave. They were told they had to leave. And it was around similar issues to what we're talking about with Indiana. Yet Corey Lucius is back on campus in 2022 for grind week, which tells you one, he still really loves Michigan state in the program. And two, that Tom Izzo is not a guy to cast you out and that's it. You're gone for eternity, but he's going to take the steps he needs to take to make sure his program has is consistent with his values and with a level of integrity, even if he's losing talent in the process, that was a hell of a risk to take. And, you know, if you remember that all happened during a year that ended up being very tumultuous for MSU, where they barely made the NCAA tournament, they lost in the first round of UCLA. And then not only those two guys, but Kalen Lucas, Darrell Summers were gone. Del Monroe ended up never playing again. And you went into the 2011-2012 season wondering, well, God, what are they going to do? And all they did is win the Big Ten, go to the Sweet 16, (laughs) earn a number one seat, which to me demonstrated very clearly you you can't obsess solely on quote-unquote talent. It can't just be about that. You have to value other things. Mike Woodson is coming from the NBA, and let's be perfectly honest. For the kind of stuff that I've heard was going on in Indiana, there is much, much more tolerance for it at the NBA level. But those are grown men and professionals, and I'm sorry, but I think it's a different thing. And so I wonder, not only for this season, but for the long run, however long Mike Woodson is there, what kind of program is he going to have? And I think that is very much an open question. And again, I can look at his background and say, well, I understand why he would view things perhaps the way that he allegedly does. But I don't think that's probably the right answer, coaching a Big Ten program. But we'll see. Time's going to tell. 
Sure. And I think, you know, anyone who's had a job at, at a business, you know, there are, there are toxic cultures, there are cultures that are dysfunctional and, and you recognize no matter what kind of talent you bring into those situations, it's just not going to work wherever you might. And, and it's important, right? And that's, it's sometimes it's a hard thing to sort of quantify sometimes. And yeah. And, and by the way, it's worth pointing out that, um, at least some of those guys that were suspended are still on the roster. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So they didn't get the Chris Allen, Corey Lucius treatment. We'll see if that works. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our, uh, players departing. So we have Parker Stewart, six, four wing. He averaged 6.2 points a game on 37, 39 and 64 shooting. He's one of their, uh, better perimeter shooters, which for a team that didn't have much, he transferred back down to Tennessee Martin. And, uh, I partly because of family issues because of his uh, father who passed away before he entered his, uh, or joined the IU team. Well, yeah. And so he was kind of an interesting case. He was really good playing for his dad at Tennessee Martin and his dad died. And so he transferred to IU and expectations were really high because he'd been very productive at Tennessee Martin, but it never quite came together. I mean, if you look at his efficiency numbers, especially for a team that was desperate (laughs) for anybody who could hit a jumper, you'd say, well, this is pretty good, but he just never got the number of shots. I we're going to talk about guys coming back. And to me, statistics be damned the the core of the problem at indiana offensively last year had to do with guard play and specifically point guard play i do not think xavier johnson who we'll talk about has pretty good numbers but if you pay attention and you actually watch him play and you look at how the rest of the team plays around him the numbers are hollow and parker stewart not getting more shots is an example of that on a team that can't hit jumpers, why is one of the guys who can not getting more attempts, not getting more looks? I put at least some of that on the point guard. Maybe you can put some of it on the coaches too, but I put some of that on the guy running the offense. You have to. Right. Uh, so next is Rob Finnessy, 6'1 point guard. He averaged four and a half points a game on 31, 26, and 41 shooting. He played about 19 minutes a game in 25 games. He was injured, uh, at least during this latter part of the season. I think he had like a shoulder injury. He ended up transferring to Cincinnati in the offseason. Yeah, you know, Finnessy is an interesting guy. He had some big, he had some big moments in Indiana. Yes. He hits, uh, had a couple games where he hit clutch shots, but that tended to obscure the fact that he was just never a particularly efficient player at Indiana. He he played hard, and I thought that wasn't lacking, but his production was just never as good as they would hoped it would be because he was a guy that um, Archie Miller brought in, you know, thinking this is going to be my point guard. And it just never turned out that way. Yeah. And speaking of point guards, let's talk about Christian Lander. He was the much ballyhooed 6'1 sophomore. He averaged only 2.9 points a game on 45, 33, and 75, shooting uh, obviously very limited volume with those sorts of uh, point averages. He only played in 13 games. He was one who reclassified. I kind of feel bad for this kid. I feel like he's reclassified in a team that was desperate for point guard play and was just overwhelmed, and he's just never really became the player. I think, obviously, they hoped he'd be. He has since transferred to Western Kentucky where he's going to try and get things back on track. Yeah, it's, you know, I wonder if he will be, he should be a cautionary tale 
about guys reclassifying because he was an elite recruit in the 2022 class. And he reclassified into, um, uh, do I have that right? No, I'm sorry. Into the 21 in the 21 class. And he reclassified into the 20 class yeah, right. because they, they needed an answer. They, they felt they needed a guy. And in two years at Indiana, two different head coaches, he just never looked the part. I mean, physically, he didn't look strong enough. His quickness wasn't what it was supposed to be in terms of being able to perhaps mitigate some of that. Never got a shot dialed in. Never looked like a natural playmaker to me. It was just bad all the way across the board. And so now, as you say, he goes to Western Kentucky, still a decent level with a chance to rebuild his career. But, um, you know, we, we just... People have, have long gotten caught up in the idea of guys going pro early and hurting themselves. And that, that happens sometimes for sure. But I think an underplayed mistake is the reclassifying thing coming out of high school too early and doing yourself damage. And there are lots of examples of that as well. And Christian Lander would be a very obvious, uh, an obvious one. Yeah, sure. Uh, finally, finally for players to party, Michael Durr, he's a seven foot transfer from South Florida. He averaged only one and a half points a game and one rebound a game in just seven minutes a game. He only played about 30 games and he transferred to UCF. Yeah, I think they'd hope for more out of him. Um, he, he really wasn't able to give them quality depth at the five, which might've allowed them to rest, uh, TJD a little bit more, um, you know, transferring out to UCF, not, a, not a bad move. Cause I, I don't, the handwriting was on the wall. You know, he wasn't going to have a significant role because yeah. he didn't do enough last year to, to earn it. Yeah. You wonder, I, I guess you might say, well, had, uh, Jackson Davis and I come back, maybe he would have stuck it out and to see if he could have gotten a bigger role in the team. But, but as, yeah. we, as we go into players returning, number one is Trace Jackson Davis, 6'9", senior. He averaged 18.3 points a game, eight rebounds a game, uh, nearly three blocks a game. He shot 59% from the floor, 67% from the line, and really good, both ends of the floor. Uh, he's a guy who, uh, brief rumors that he might enter the transfer portal because the uh, because he was good. he initially was sort of declared for the draft. He obviously pulled out of the draft. And there's some thought maybe he'd end up at Michigan State to sort of help shore up the five issue with Michigan State uh, with the departure of Julius Marble. But anyway, he ends up staying at Indiana. And obviously his deficiencies on the line are a problem, but a guy who is really good inside. And, and we were talking earlier, and, you know, as we alluded to, really good, efficient person in the, in the blocks. And yet, this team can't shoot. And so it, it makes you think, although he's scoring 18 points a game, maybe he needs to be scoring 25 or 20, 28. Well, look, a player that's that good and that efficient, and he averages just a little over 12 field goal attempts a game, that's criminal. That's criminal. He should be getting, and I'm not saying he needs to shoot 25 times tonight, but it should be more attempts than that. And when, when you watched Indiana play, so often I would see him establishing post position, begging for the ball and him not getting it. That's a problem. That's a problem with your guards. That's a problem with your coaching. That's a problem with your offense. It's a problem period with a capital P. 
And if they want to have an identity, they have an opportunity to establish one. Right. Yeah. And it would be, we play through our big man because their big man is really good. He also had uh, a few more assists than turnovers on the year for a center. That's good. That's a great number. Yeah. Anytime you're positive, that's fantastic. So it's not like, Oh, teams can double him and take him away and bog down the offense. No, he can move the ball. And, and he's, he gets to the line. He draws fouls. Um, his free throw shooting could stand to be improved a little bit, but it got better last year from the year prior. So the trajectory is in the right direction. I just, the only thing you can fault him for is that he doesn't have a three point shot. Everything else offensively. I think trace Jackson Davis is a really good player and defensively, you know, I don't think he's the best pick and roll defender there is, but he's definitely a rim protector and their team concept is good enough that I don't feel like he gets exposed uh, overly often, you know? Yeah. Um, so to me, this is something I'm going to pay a lot of attention to. And it's going to tell me something about what I think Mike Woodson actually is as a coach. Does he adjust to that and say, guys, one way or another, we've got to get the ball to our, our horse more often. If he doesn't, I, I, I just, I'm going to, I don't see how you couldn't question things because it just seems so obvious. Right. And, and so you, you think the main deficiency for him pulling out of the draft, was the fact that he doesn't have an outside shot in the NBA. You just absolutely have to have some sort of three point threat. And his athleticism. I, I would think there are questions about, okay. you know, how well, how well he could guard people out on the floor. I mean, he's not a great athlete. Sure. Just efficient. Like, like a Luca Garza, right? He's very efficient with the ball, but not a great Yeah, a diff- different player than Garza, but yeah, probably roughly similar issues. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Race Thompson, the other one we talked about earlier. He's 6'6", six, six, uh, four-man. He averaged 11.1 points a game, seven and a half rebounds a game for Indiana. He shot 54, 27, and 65. Uh, again, good shooter. He's someone who I think even came on and was even playing better at the end of the season than, he's, than the beginning. Yep. And a good defender, played hard, a good rebounder. So, I mean, again, it's clearly this one of the strengths of Indiana is they've got a veteran players in the post. He He's come a long way as a, as a player. And um, now I think you have to view him as a really, really high level Robin to TJD's Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are, they're a great one, two combination. He's, he's just got a, a motor that doesn't quit and it re- and he's a better athlete than you might think he's undersized at six, six, but it, it doesn't really seem to hurt him much because of that motor. And because he's got good wingspan, he can still do some things. Um, this is a very, very good player. As a, as a collegiate player, I don't know that he's got any real serious, you know, NBA potential, but as a big 10 player, he's very good. And, you know, if he could somehow find a little more consistency with the jumper and be a real stretch option, boy, that could make him even better. I would say as currently constituted, meaning as they played last year, that's the one thing you could ding those two guys for is that both of them out there together, you lack that kind of stretch option that modern offenses like to have. If you've got two guys who really don't shoot the three very well, 
and Thompson shoots it. TJD doesn't. Thompson shoots it. He just doesn't shoot it well. Um, that would make a big difference to the way the whole offense can flow is if he could even become like a mid-30s guy, that would be a big uptick. Uh, I don't know if that's in the cards, but I still think he's very productive no matter what. Right, and I think this this just shows you the point too. If you have a really effective post presence, but if you are poor, do a poor job of getting them the ball. I mean, they, they're not bringing the ball up the court, so the ball may not get in their hands in an offensive possession. It's really important to have a good guard play or scheme or whatever to get them the ball, and that's what Indiana really had really struggled with last year. I mean, there's a lot. I remember the tournament; they were just passing around the perimeter and they never get it into them. Like guys, open. They would. I. I would lose count of the number of possessions they would go without those guys touching it. It was crazy. Yeah. It's not like you got guys shooting 40%. That's why they're shooting. <laughs> you guys can't right. not get in the ball. You don't have better options than yeah. those two guys. You don't if you're Indiana. So speaking of those guards, Xavier Johnson, uh, he's returning. He's a transfer guard from Pitt. He was a point guard for uh, Indiana average 12 points a game and just over five assists per game, but that's still under a two to one assisted turnover mark. He shot 41, 38, and 78. They look good, uh, but you know, this is where you're talking about the hollow numbers. A guy who, I, from a, as far as a decision maker, probably didn't make your offense better, right? He didn't get the, he didn't feed the guys down low when they needed it, where they needed it, etc. You know, Xavier Johnson on paper looks very different than Xavier Johnson as you're actually watching him play. Those numbers you just cited are reasonably good. You know, the shooting numbers yep. are good. And you would see him go through stretches where he could go carry them for a while offensively. He can get his own shot at times. He's a good three-point shooter, can get to the rim and finish. He's 6'3", yet he's also pretty athletic. So it's a nice combination of size and athleticism. But when push comes to shove in big moments – I did not see a lot of reason to have faith in Xavier Johnson making the right decision very often. It, it reminded me a little bit, he's a different player, but he reminded me a little bit in that regard of Fats Russell at Maryland last year, mm -hmm. where the yeah, other some numbers and you watch him and there will be moments where he'll make you think, well, this is a guy who can do a lot, but boy, he's going to break your heart in the end. And, and look, I think that the, the bottom line is much like a quarterback, ultimately, I think you can talk about the statistics all you want, but quarterbacks usually get evaluated in some way or another on winning. Yeah. Right. If, if you, if your team wins, yes, there are other things that can carry a mediocre quarterback. We see that occasionally, but by and large, it's hard to win unless you have good quarterback play. I think it's very hard to win if you don't have good point guard play. And it's even harder to have an efficient and a good offense if you don't have good point guard play. Well, Indiana did not have a good offense last year. So where do I put that? I'm not saying it's all on Xavier Johnson because they were bad before he got there. <laughs> but he didn't make them better. Right. Can he turn that around? Can he make, can he harness those the talent that he has and find a way to turn that into a winning equation for his team. We'll see. Uh, so next we'll talk about Miller cop who is a six, seven transfer. He came from Northwestern the previous year. He averaged six points a game on 36, 36 and 87 shooting started all 35 games. Uh, I can tell you as sitting in the, during the big 10 tournament with, with the Indiana fans around me, he is not a, f a fan favorite of Indiana fans. 
he's a guy who I think they sort of saw as uh, someone who didn't really do much, even though when he was out there, he doesn't. And I, I kind of wonder if in some ways he would have been better off just sticking with at Northwestern. He would have had a bigger role there and maybe been more successful. I, I don't know. I guess you say, well, he made the tournament at, for the Indiana and won a game, but I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, what are your thoughts on Miller Cop? He was a better shooter at Northwestern. He, I, I, when I looked at those numbers in preparation for this, 36% from three, I was surprised it was that high because my memory of him last year was just missing shots. Yeah. And it's the only thing he does. He's not a particularly good defensive player. Uh, he doesn't rebound. He's not a creator. He's a shooter. That's what his role is. And if he's at plus 40%, okay, maybe he's helping you doing that. But where he was, he didn't do enough. And only six points a game tells you it wasn't a high volume either. Um, I can understand those fans feeling that way. I think they thought bringing him in, they really had something because he was a reasonably productive guy at Northwestern. And so, you know, knew the Big Ten clearly, so he didn't have that kind of adjustment to worry about. But he just was not as good. And it'll be interesting to me if they stick with him as a starter. I think they will, at least early on. But, you know, there's a couple guys on this team that I could see progressing to a point that maybe they threaten that, especially if Cop's not producing as a deep shooter. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a really good chance that he won't see and. It's certainly, he's not bring, like you said. He's not bringing much else to the get to the team. So if he's not hitting, hitting the three, yeah, it's the only thing he does, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, so talk about players. Uh, well, Trey Trey Galloway, six four junior wing. He averaged five and a half points a game on forty six twenty one and sixty five shooting. So he was, you know, <laughs> he was not a good shooter. But man, that guy was a fun guy, player to watch. He played a lot of intensity. He's all over the court, and. Um, I think I think defensively he was really good, which is probably why he got a role on the team. But again, you know, offensively he was just a non-factor. If he's not driving the lane and getting a layup or something, he was not really much use out there. Yeah, and you know, also some injury problems. So he's got to manage to stay healthy. I think he only played in twenty games last year. But um, you hit on why I think he has value. He's the floor burn guy. I mean, he will dive after loose <laughs> yeah. balls. He will. He will throw his body around. He competes. He plays hard. And there is a value for that. He's kind of the anti-Miller cop. It's like he does everything but shoot the ball. <laughs> if he ever does manage to dial in his jumper, even to a halfway decent level, he will play a ton of minutes. It's the only thing that limits him because I think they like everything else he gives them. Yeah, and I th- and he was definitely a fan favorite as well, just because I think he played sure. so hard. And and in that game against Michigan, he was instrumental in bringing them back. He had a lot of defensive stops. Yeah. He had a lot of layups, and he, I mean, he made a lot happen on their offense. That was certainly the fir- that yep. first half of the game. It was very stagnant, like I think they often were last year. Uh, next, we'll talk about Jordan Geronimo. He's another junior. He's a six six uh, three four player. He averaged a little under four and a half points a game. Uh, 3.6 rebounds a game in just under 13 minutes. Uh, he shot 52, 31, and 57. So obviously not very good shooting, especially from the line. It makes you wonder how much better he can get uh, from three. But, you know, I, I suppose there's potential there, and he's definitely athletic. He He's the guy I look at as someone who could be, or at least the first guy, 
who could be a threat to Miller Cop starting at the three right. uh, on the wing. Because, yeah, there's a limitation, or at least to date there has been as a shooter. But, man, he when they got him, when I first saw him play, he reminded me of other guys they've gotten in the past, a couple guys in particular, um, Oladipo and then OG Ananobi. Um, later in Crean's run there, both of whom were very athletic guys, were kind of under-the-radar recruits, but really blossomed at IU, developed more of an offensive game than they had coming in, and yet were gifted with that athleticism. Geronimo's a really good athlete. He hasn't yet been able to tap into a higher-level skill game, and that's probably held him back. But I can see him, if Cop is not shooting well, I can see him maybe earning minutes. I, I don't rule out that he could take his level of play up another notch or two. Another returning player is Tamar Bates, 6'5 sophomore wing, highly regarded uh, and uh, has had struggled a little bit. He averaged uh, 3.9 points a game on 34, 30, and 83 shooting. And so I guess, you know, the question, of course, for him is can he get a little bit bigger role this season? Yeah. Uh, it, he was one of these guys that, he was committed to Texas and then decommitted when Shaka Smart left. And that put him back on the market in the spring. And he had not been a highly regarded recruit when Texas got him to commit. But over the course of his senior year in high school, his reputation really blossomed. And so by the time he hit the market again, he was one of these guys. And you see a few of these every spring where somebody comes out of the blue and all of a sudden they're the subject of a war. Um, there was a guy Michigan State was involved with a few years ago, Mark Smith, who ended up going to Illinois, and then he right. bounced around a little bit <laughs> after that. Yeah. He was an example of that, where by the time he got to March and April of his senior year, all of a sudden he had heavyweights knocking at the door, where they hadn't been anywhere in sight, say, six months earlier. Um, Bates was kind of that kind of player. So he came in with a lot of hype but the shooting didn't quite translate as a freshman. It still could. And I don't, he had moments where he looked like he was starting to get it. And then, you know, play would quality of play would slip, et cetera. But I don't write off his future at all. I think he's a guy who could easily see his role increase this year, especially if he can dial in the jumper a little bit more consistently. Absolutely. Cause he's got the kind of one thing that seems pretty clear with Mike Woodson is you look at the size of the guards that he brings in and he seems to favor more size, more athleticism. Like there's an emphasis on that as opposed to, you know, the stereotypical we were talking about, right? I don't know that Mike Woodson would be prioritizing a Steve Alford. Maybe he would, but because Steve Alford was that good in high school, but um, it wouldn't happen often. And so tomorrow Bates has some size, some length, some athleticism that, you could still project him as a guy who could eventually be, be good for you. Uh, next would be Anthony Leal, 6'4", junior, averaged uh, only 1.9 points a game in 17 games played. He shot 41, 32, and 67. Very simple equation for Anthony Leal. Uh, he came in with a reputation as a shooter, and he hasn't shot it well so far. <laughs> yeah. If he does shoot it well, there's a chance because IU needs shooting. If he continues to not shoot it well, his future probably isn't very bright there. So how, how's that for a succinct evaluation? Yeah, well, I mean, right. <laughs> Shooters got to shoot, right? 
<laughs> right. Well, and again, it's like, like with some of these other guys, like with Miller Cop, Anthony Leal, that's kind of all he does. Yeah, right. All he's demonstrated that he can do at this level. So if he's not doing that, how does he help? Yeah, certainly you think if you're a junior at this point, you're not shooting great. I, I find it hard to believe that you're going to suddenly turn around and and, uh, and raise your numbers significantly. If you're not, especially if you're not giving opportunities to really shoot much. Uh, so finally, for returning players, Logan Duncombe, a 6'10", 235-pound sophomore, didn't play much last year, and I, expectations are that he probably doesn't see the floor a whole lot this season either. Yeah, I just think with, with what they've got back in the post and what they added in recruiting, I don't see an opportunity for him right now. But that's not writing off the possibility that he could develop into a guy that could get into the rotation down the line. They did like him. Uh, he's a big kid out of Ohio. Um just I don't think it's his moment. So let's talk about newcomers and speaking of recruits. We'll start with Malik Renault, a 6'9", 240-pound post player out of Florida. He, he was a top 25 recruit and should be an expectation as being a reserve at the Ford 5 spot playing behind uh, TJD and uh, Reese Jackson. He's, uh, I guess, got – there's a lot of depth to that position, so it's going to be a little clogged up for a bit. But, you know, certainly room for someone as his caliber to, to make a – dent and get in the rotation he's going to be the main guy i mean this is this is a top 25 recruit this kid has played at uh, montverde um really really high level player and you know i it was kind of surprising in fact he made a he was committed to florida at one point and then deep committed um and uh i, I think it was maybe a little bit of a surprise in some ways that he committed to IU because it was obvious he wasn't going to start as a freshman. Like there's no opportunity because you're not playing ahead of TJD and you're not playing ahead of Ray Thompson. But I think from an IU perspective, you like this because a kid with this kind of talent, he's truly like, I'm not saying he's going to be a dominant player immediately, but this is not a guy who's considered to be raw. Like he's got, some offensive game right now they think he can be a good rim protector they think he should be a good rebounder you know so honestly playing him maybe you improve your rebounding some uh on the offensive end just by having another guy you can put out there and go get some when when he's on the floor and, and say tjd is resting but i think that's the thing that it does right it gives you potentially more confidence that you can rest those two guys a little bit more and not see the level of play fall off as much as it did last season. Right, right. Uh, speaking of top 25 recruits, the next one is also another top 25 recruit, Jalen Hood Shafino. He's a combo guard, and obviously for him, if they're, they're hoping that he's going to be a much better shooter and he's going to help boost their uh, shooting problems uh, on the floor. He, he's the other top 25 recruit. Big-time guy. Has some point guard game. They obviously with Xavier Johnson, they won't let they won't ask him to be that exclusively, but he will see some on the ball time because they're going to likely need him to do some of that. Uh, but I think he probably starts off the ball. I think he'll start at the wing, and his reputation, you know, he's got great size. I think he's six 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 seven. Um, reputation as a scorer and a shooter, and boy, could I use that? Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll see. It's a lot to put on a freshman, even one highly regarded. But if he's as good as advertised, he can come in and give them a guy who could score 12, 13, 14 a night, that kind of thing, and do it reasonably efficiently. That's a big boost from what they've had. 
Right. Uh, next would be Caleb Banks. He's a top 100 recruit for out of Georgia, 6'7", 200 pound, four man. And, you know, again, it's the clogged up position at the three and the four, but or the four and the five. But if you're talented enough, I suppose you're going to get a look a couple times during a game. Yeah. He was one of the top players in Georgia. Um, highly, another highly regarded player. Uh, they think he can play the four. They think he can probably play the three as well. I would expect he's in their rotation. I don't know how large a role, but I think he's probably going to play. There's probably room for him somewhere in there. And then finally, maybe the most appropriately named player here, CJ Gunn, an Indiana native, 6'6", supposedly a good shooter. So he will, I mean, if anyone's going to be a sniper, it's going to be this guy, right? Uh, yeah. And again, good size, 6'6", six, six, and a wing. So you, you see a pattern of what, you know, we talked about Mike Woodson not establishing a style of play yet or points of emphasis. But I think if you look at his recruiting, one thing that has become clear is he wants size in the backcourt. He is not going to go out there. He's not going to do what Tom Izzo seems to be doing. We've talked about this, right? Like Tom Izzo has in the, over the last couple of years, there's a lot of guys who play point or could play point. And they're all, you know, in the six, one to six, three range, or most of them are. And he continues to do it. You know, every year he's adding guys in that range. So he's not afraid to go smaller. Mike Woodson very clearly does not want to go smaller. If you look at the way he's recruited, it becomes very obvious. Like the, the two guys in this class that are his freshman class that are guards are six, six and six, seven. Yeah. So that tells you, but I think with CJ Gunn, just to turn back to him for a second, look, he's got a reputation as a shooter, right? Indiana desperately needs shooting. Yeah. So if he can come in and provide them with some shooting, he can probably earn some minutes. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I, there's a chance. All right. So we're at the end of the Big Ten previews. Uh, you had, which we've skipped Michigan State. You have them number two and Indiana number one. I, I think, you know, probably the consensus pick is going to be Indiana as the Big Ten uh, champ, you know, preseason. I don't know that people feel quite as strongly about that as they did, say, last year with Purdue, which would seem like a pretty obvious pick and certainly seemed like a, a no brainer oh, until, no. until the Big Ten season started. I'm just sort of last year, right? For big, yeah. Purdue last Lord, year. Lord, no, I don't feel that strong. Right, so I don't think any, and, <laughs> right. And so, uh, so although it's probably going to be everyone's pick, I don't think anyone feels that strongly about Indiana, except that, you know, they looked they looked really good for a couple games in the Big Ten tournament. I feel like had they, and you know, they were 9 and 11 in the Big Ten. It's not like they were gangbusters. And they added some nice pieces. I don't know. I mean, I, I can see why people feel that way strongly about them, but I can see why you could... You could definitely talk yourself out out of them being, you know, finishing anywhere in the top two or three. Here's why. Okay. You have a great player coming back in Trace Jackson Davis. So he's a guy, however you slice it, you know, give or take Hunter Dickinson. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I wouldn't even necessarily put Zach Eady in that class. Not yet. No, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Um, Hunter Dickinson would be the guy. Um and probably, I'm just going through mentally, if there's any other returning big man of that class, it's probably one of those two guys who would be your pick as preseason player of the year in the league Right at this point. 
So that's one reason. You've got a guy people think is going to be really good, maybe a first-team All-American. You know, All those things are there as possibilities for him. Then you've got a veteran in Race Thompson who's done some things, all right? Mm-hmm. And then you add to that uh, the point guard, Xavier Johnson. Now, I think that's where people get fooled because they look at numbers and they think, well, that's pretty productive and he's a year older. Why wouldn't he be even better? Well, you got to look a little deeper what the team did and wonder, was he part of that numbers be damned? Well, he was. Um, then you add in another returning starter in Miller cop. We'll see whether he holds on to that spot or not. But so I think you're starting with the premise that you got a lot of experience and some proven, really proven production. So that's one reason. Then you add in that they had a very good recruiting class again on paper. Yeah. Very good recruiting class Four guys. They like a lot. I think two of whom are guaranteed to play big roles and the other two to be determined. Then on top of that, you have this group of guys, Galloway, Bates, Geronimo, who you could imagine perhaps developing into something more than what they've been to date. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take, you know, really, really intense squinting (laughs) to see that maybe one of those three guys becomes a consistently productive player. Right more so than what they've been so far. So I think you put all those things together and then add in that the big 10 does not have a team like a Purdue last year or like other teams we typically see in this league where it's blatantly obvious. Hey, they don't have big, obvious weaknesses. We don't have that in the big 10. It's very wide open. So you put all of that together. And that's why I think you're going to see Indiana emerge as the consensus pick to win the big 10. And indeed, I have picked them at number one. However, I am going to at the same time, and you feel free to take me to task for this because I don't have a good defense. Even though I've picked them number one, I'm also going to say here, I do not believe they will win the Big Ten. (laughs) Now, you try to make sense of that because I can't. (laughs) But I'll try to explain myself. I'm picking them number one for the same reasons that I just outlined. It's what makes sense based on all of those things. However, I do not have as of yet a fundamental belief in Mike Woodson, in his program, and in this Indiana team figuring out enough offensively to get it done, mostly because I do not believe in their point guard. Yeah. And so, again, stats be damned. (laughs) Um, He's got better numbers than A.J. Hogard and Tyson Walker, and I wouldn't take him over either of those guys. Yeah, that's a good point. As a point guard. Right. Not a chance. Not a chance. I do not think he's proven to be a winning player. Now, maybe that changes this year. But as of right now, based on what we know, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think it's justifiable. So that's why I'm saying it. My, my problem is I can't tell you who else I think will win it instead of them. <laughs> right, exactly. That's because everybody baseball. else has yeah. problems. Yeah, that includes Michigan State. I think somebody else will do it. I just don't know who it will be. Yeah, I think that's possible. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to go with really tried, but I can't. (laughs) I just don't know. So uh, in in uh, in review, 
Going from bottom to top, you have Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern, Maryland, Penn State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Iowa, Purdue, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Indiana. So I feel I have to get into this. I would encourage all you listeners, you're obviously uh, welcome to join our contest where you can pick Rod, who is obviously super confident in his picks. (laughs) So yeah. you you can definitely. Be I've able never to, I've never had this lack of confidence ever. Yeah. doing this. Stuff. Well, I'm sure not. Right. It's it's a weird year. It, I think you know the transfer rule is what really really throws things off because you have you have look much more these, than we've, usual. We've right? gone less so with Indiana, but you look at some of these teams even at the top, yeah. and it will, you know Ohio be State, less Illinois, so Michigan State too. Right, Ohio State, Illinois. My picks for three and four. Those rosters are like eighty percent turned over. Yeah. And, it's and, crazy. And, most, and none of the players returning are ones that are like solid players that were like, you know, top players in the previous season. So you're turning Not, over all the right. best There's players are gone. coming back that was right. That was an all Big Ten performer, you know. Right. Yeah, so makes it, Which, again, is another reason to go back to Indiana. What separates them in this pecking order from those teams? Well, they have a TJD. They have a Race Thompson. Yeah, Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you have to look for until you've seen those players play and see them how they play together, right? This is exactly what we talked about with Ohio right. State last episode. It's you, you know, you, you can only know what you can know. Uh, so again, go uh, send an email to tffinots at gmail.com. There you can enter the beat rod contest. You uh, rank your teams one through 14. The tiebreaker is how many points Michigan State scores against Michigan this season. Obviously, add your name and you'll be entering the contest for a free t shirt and opportunity to appear on the show after the season's over entries are due before the first big 10 game which i probably should have written down but it's sometime in uh, mid-december uh, so i'll give you my picks uh, i think they're pretty close to yours i also agree that nebraska is the worst team i think northwestern is at 13 i have maryland at 12 minnesota 11 and 10 penn state so i bottom five is the same as yours i just have them moved around a little bit but i think mm-hmm. not much different at number nine, I really don't believe in Wisconsin. I think I think they'll switch places with Rutgers and Rutgers at eight. I really am not a believer in Michigan, and I have them at seventh. I think Iowa is at sixth is probably right. I'm actually putting Indiana at fifth. I really just don't think – when I look at the three new coaches uh, with Shrewsbury, uh, Woodson, and um, – who else am I trying to – Johnson. Johnson, yeah. Ben Johnson. Yeah, I, I think Woodson is the one – the most questionable. He obviously had the most to work with, uh, so I – until he proves it, I, I'm not convinced that they're going to be the team everyone thinks they're going to be. And so for me, it was kind of – I was looking at the teams, but it, I was almost more looking at the coaches and thinking in a, in a year where there's going to be so much, I think, variation, I'm going to rely on my coaches more and sort of who has proven to be successful. And I think – so that's why I'm going to – that's why I'm going to go for number four. I'm going to have Purdue up there because uh, I think – uh, Painter's going to find some way to get it done. I think Holtman has been pretty consistent at the top of the Big Ten, or sort of, and so I have him at three. Uh, and then Illinois, and then I have Michigan State at first because I just trust Izzo at this point. It kind of it seems kind of like a homer pick, but I, I feel like you know you've got most of the roster returning, and um, there are some questions certainly, like as there are with all the teams. But I feel more confident that there's chance to develop there, and and I just trust Izzo to, to find a way to get it done. But I could see it easily a three or four way per, tie for first place as well. And so you could be first, but also fourth. Right. And so that could easily be the case. Um, I would say this about, and we'll talk about this more with Michigan state as we do that preview, but I think the defense for what you did, or even what I did picking them second is the following. It one is Izzo. 
Now, detractors would say, well, look at the last two years. Well, I, I think that's probably not the wisest course of action to take, but okay. Nevertheless, you and I are taking a broader view of what that means. But I think the other thing is you look at these other teams that we're talking about at the top. You look at um, Ohio State. You look at Illinois. Um, you look at Purdue. You look at Michigan. All of these teams have clear-cut issues that need to be solved at the point. Now, maybe they get them solved. Right. But you're talking about a combination of transfers or freshmen in most of those instances being put into those positions, right? That is a lot to ask. Um, Indiana does have a veteran returning, but as we've talked about, not a guy I think it's warranted, at least at this stage, to put a ton of faith in that he's totally figured out how to win. I think Michigan State's got the best point guard situation in the conference. Yeah. I think the combination of AJ Hogard and uh, and Tyson Walker, and by the way, add in Trey Holloman, who could also play there. I don't know how much he'll play there this year, but um, he could, and I think he'd be effective. Um, that is a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage, and it cannot be overstated how important it is to have guys who have been through it, who know how to play, and can make people around them better. And I think if, if you're looking to make the argument for Michigan State, that's where it has to go. Yeah. Because they have a potential strength there where pretty much everybody else that's considered to be in the mix has bigger questions. Yeah, no, I, and that was, that was my thinking. I think, you know, the, the big question for Michigan State is, of course, the five. Are they going to be able to have enough there? In the, right. Right. And defensively, are they going to be able to rebound? And, you know, I suppose shooting, are they going to be able to shoot this year? There's, I, look, Michigan State's got a ton of questions, yeah. too. But but if you're asking me what spot is it most important to not have those level of questions, <laughs> it's the spot they don't have them. Right. It's yeah. the point, you know. And so that counts in my book. It counts for a lot because the knock on effect from that can be so great. And conversely, if you don't answer it properly, the negative knock on effect of what it can do to the guys around that point guard is also just as serious, just in the other direction. Right. Yeah. There's no question. And, you know, we're getting only a couple of weeks from the, the opening tip. So we'll have all these questions answered. I think probably within for certain, certain teams like Michigan state, we're going to know pretty quickly, you know, where they are at least uh, other teams. Well, might we're going to know. We're going to, we're going to know, we're going to get a pretty quick level check. Yeah. I don't think we're going to have, you certainly won't be able to evaluate it by wins and losses because the schedule they play is insane. So yeah. they're going to take some lumps, I think in the, in the loss category, but how they play is more important than the results. And I think even if they take a few losses early, it's not going to tell us very much about what they can do in this year's big 10 
or by March. Right. I think you just, you know, like you said, we'll know, we'll know more about what this team has got or, or if the deficiencies are more than we thought anticipated. Like, you know, can, is Ebok just useless or, or not Ebok? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, Sissoko, is he, is he useless or right. is he someone who's going to be effective, you know, and be able to give you minutes? Sure. We'll know those, we'll know some of those things initially. Uh, so, but you know, we'll, that again, we'll get into that when you talk to Michigan State in the next show. Um, I guess anything further, I guess I'd have a question about Dane Fife. You know, it's the one, it's sort of a little non sequitur here, but just to go back to Dane Fife. Cause I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of people initially thought on the, you know, mag board and stuff, smart mag board that thought Dane Fife was sort of the natural, uh, heir to the Michigan state head coaching job. Uh, Cause he'd been with the team. He'd been with Izzo for a long time. He'd had previous head coaching experience at, I think what IUPUI, uh, and, um, you know, then he got, he went down to Indiana and clearly they thought he might be the next head coach. Uh, where do you, where do you think Fife goes? Do you think he's a, do you think he's someone who may find his way back to Michigan state? Do you think he's going to find a head coach? No, somewhere else? I mean, that, that, will, that will not happen. Um, and the stuff about him being Izzo's successor was always wrong. If you believed that you didn't, under, I, I could, I could offer some very potentially divisive, explanations of why some people assumed that I'll leave that alone. I think it should be pretty obvious. Um, but, uh, that was never the case. If you were looking at that staff that he was a part of, if there was a guy who was going to be the likely successor, it was DJ Stevens. Period. So, and, and my understanding is not that I think the relationship ended on horrible terms, but I think it just had kind of come to its, that's the sense I have. It had kind of come to its conclusion. Yeah. Right. And so the IU thing happened at the right time for him. I do not think he'll be back at Michigan state. I do find it interesting that as far as I'm aware, he's not gotten a job. Um, some of that was timing because that, that dismissal did not happen early. You know, I don't remember exactly when, but I want to say it was well into the off season yeah, when it I- came down. I can't remember when it was. I do feel, I feel like it was after the season was over though. So, oh, it was for sure. Yeah. But I, I, I don't recall it being like, you know, April 5th, but regardless, um, look, Dane Fife had head coaching opportunities that he passed on while he was in Michigan state. My understanding is he was offered the job at Duquesne mm-hmm. and turned it down because in the final analysis, he didn't think he would be set up to win there. Um, that's an Atlantic 10 job. That's not bad. That's a pretty good level to start at. Although again, the job, that particular job came with limitations apparently, but it goes to show you that he was a guy and that wasn't that long ago. That was just a few years ago. Um, he's a guy who was well-regarded and I think still is, I think his time at Michigan state, he definitely had a reputation as someone who would eventually be ready to run a, a bigger program, you know, mm-hmm. and he already has that head coaching experience under his belt, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a clear idea of what the future will hold for him, but I have to believe he'll be back in coaching um, soon. It would be interesting to see whether it's, you would kind of think at this point, the way it's set up, maybe he goes back as an assistant it would maybe be a little harder to imagine unless he was willing to, to kind of go back to the, the lower yeah, one right. level 
him to walk into a head coaching job right now. Uh, but you never know. Um, but yeah, I, I've got to believe he's going to be back in the game sooner rather than later. I just don't know where I would assume it would be somewhere in this region in the upper Midwest. Cause that's, that's who he's been his whole life. So yeah, um, it would be more surprising if he went out of the region, but I, I guess we'll see what's out there for yeah. him. And just to be clear. So I just look at, so he was let go on March 23rd. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, okay. It, well, that's, so I'm that was actually the that. season was that going was, right. Or that was, uh, right after the season ended, right. That would have been right after they got knocked out. It was right tournament. after I yeah. was bounced. Yeah. So that my memory was incorrect. then. I was thinking it was later in April or maybe even early May, but that's incorrect. So he did have time, which makes it interesting. I, again, I don't know. That may have been of his own volition yeah. or perhaps he was being very selective about the next position that he gets and wants to be careful and decided maybe it made sense to, to sit a year out. I have not heard of what he's got. I'll tell you this. One thing that would absolutely not surprise me at all is if you saw him around the MSU program a little bit this year, and I don't have any that that's strictly me shooting from sure. um, shooting from the hip, but um, Izzo does that especially with guys who have been in the program previously and find themselves out of the job. I mean, there's, or even, even guys who weren't with the program. I mean, Fred Hoiberg, before he got the Nebraska job, after he'd been fired from the bulls, he spent some time around the Michigan state program. Um, Brian Gregory has done that at different points. I believe Doug Wojcik did that before he got rehired into the program. I think there was a period of time where he was doing that. Um, so that would not be surprising in the slightest, not in any kind of official capacity, but just kind of around. Yeah. Right. Sure. You know, it would make a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, and just also one quick point too is Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne, that he was head coach, not IUPUI. So, uh, until next time, the final four is not on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.